0: Hello and welcome to the Good Darts Podcast, the lowest quality podcast about the highest quality sport. We are doing an afternoon recording on a Wednesday, which is, I mean, frankly, I'm terrified by how efficient, how efficient the Good Darts Podcast team is becoming. I'm Dan Dawson. Wayne Mardle is alongside (laughs) me, the great participator. And it's given me, what, 20 past four in the afternoon on a weekday, an excuse to to crack open the booze because... uh, very much sort of Pavlovian response. I hear Wayne Mardle's name and realise I have to talk to him. And then I just have to run into the fridge and go and get <laughs> alcohol. I imagine it's the same same response that a lot of people had when they would had a bet on you in the darts and then just immediately yeah. needed to turn to drink. How are you doing, yes. Wayne, anyway?
1: I, I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. But imagine, I'm out, imagine how Mrs. M actually feels on a day-to-day basis. No wonder... No wonder she turns to... Uh, she has like Baileys on, on her cornflakes. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> I'm astonished she's not seriously addicted to crystal meth. Uh, but well done for, for not doing so. She's not a crack addict. So congratulations, Mrs M. Uh, right, this week on the podcast, um, we will be having a little look back at that final night of the Premier League in that little three-day chunk. We're doing those mini-podcasts from you there. So um, if you can remember that far back, I mean, we saw some very strange stuff. We'll do that later on. We're not going to look ahead to the... The next chunk of Premier League as such because we're going to have a podcast in between now and then starting up so we'll have another proper sit down and look at that because it is very very interesting the Premier League Um, but we've got Jeff Smith uh, the silencer Canada's number one North America's uh, number one as a special guest and we've got a bit of free time really to talk about stuff so I thought we'd, we'd tackle the issue um, something that everybody everybody who's ever watched arts has, has picked up on um, but maybe never really thought enough critically about and that is darts shirts Wayne Mardell you, you're you very much a man out on your own in wearing <laughs> the Hawaii shirt for a start tell us the origins of the, the Hawaiian shirt because presumably you didn't wear Hawaiian shirts from the very first moment you threw a dart
1: no no I didn't I actually played in uh, the world championships the BDO world championships the first one that I played in my debut year mm. you know. <laughs> In a black polo shirt. Nice. And it was it was very underwhelming. It was very big. It was big. It was <laughs> underwhelming. Uh, and do you know what, Dan? The, the, the reason I started to wear an Hawaiian shirt, uh, it, it didn't start off as, right, I have to wear an Hawaiian shirt. It was, uh, we did a parade at the BDO World Championships at the, the Lakeside. All 32 mm-hmm. players. There wasn't no ladies playing then. It was just 32 men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thirty-one of us wore either a dark shade of grey, a shade of black, or or navy, uh, a shade of shade of blue.
0: Who's the one of Tony
1: O'Shea. Oh, Tony-o, Tony okay. O'Shea. He had the audacity to wear white. <laughs> the audacity of the man! It was like this silk white garment, and it it just stuck out like a sore thumb. And I'm thinking why are we actually doing a parade? Because this is
0: this is nothing dull. to see, is it? It's just a no, load we, of look, mainly overweight blokes wearing yes. wearing yes. just some polo shirts that they could have got anywhere in the... From, I don't know, Benetton or whatever was going back then.
1: L- look, yeah, anywhere. Honestly, yeah, CNA. Uh, it mm. was just... Uh, it was ridiculous. And it was after that, after I'd played in it and begun to make a, a, a further name for myself I thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna do something I didn't know what I, I had no mm-hmm. idea anyway a, a mate of mine and I uh, we went to the North American Open I was actually with Peter Manley and and he's his mate at the time Dave, Dave Ansel. and I was with Dave in this Hawaiian shirt shop Actually, it was called. I think it was called the Hawaiian Shit Shirt Shop. It was oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, he bought this. He bought this shirt, and I said, "Dave, I, I, I have to buy one exactly the same. That that will work for the worlds." And it was a case of, "You'll never wear that. Why would you wear that for the worlds?" I'm like, "Because, because I have to. I, ju- I just have to." And the thing was as well is that. It was big, it was polyester, it was comfortable, and it was garish and out there. And I thought, there's no negatives here. There's no negatives. And the sole reason that I'd started wearing them was because everyone else was so
0: dull. Well, yeah. So you know, dull. It, every, like It's an integral part. Of the people watching, people think about darts, they think about the walk-ons and, and dart shirts or whatever. I mean, we have had some absolute... Blinders, I mean, you are theoretically speaking a, a world champion, are you not? In terms of dart shirts, uh, which was yes, basically yes. just an online po- you are the boaty McBoat face of dart shirts. You, you on, won a, don't, a, a don't. popularity contest.
1: You're playing it down, then I am playing it down, yeah, because it means absolutely nothing.
0: Down, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm clinging on to that, yeah. Okay, oh, uh... well done, well done, you. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing achievement, and I'm very, very proud of you. Um. But you, you've you've seen you've see, we still got players like okay Wayne Jones Wayne Jones will will whatever event it will turn up it will be just a polo shirt it'll be a Helly Hansen top yeah. it will just be anything he do, Wayne Jones does not give a toss and has never ever given a toss but there were some there were some blinders back in the day. have we we've gone past dark shirts are going downhill aren't they I know they're looking cool and they're looking more acceptable and things like that but. But the, the peak, the heyday of the dark shirt was, was surely gone. the sort of 90s. Yeah. That was that was when we saw some m- truly mind-blowing things on stage.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I have a theory. I have a theory. Go right. go back to, to Bobby George. Go, mm-hmm. Let's go back that far. Uh, back to 1734 when yeah. Bobby was at his peak. Yeah. <laughs> They weren't they weren't on TV most weeks left right and center and it was it was a big thing so they wanted to look special didn't they yeah they they wanted to even Eric even Eric he went for this phase of having this this Union Jack shirt made and it mm-hmm. was fantastic it was it was brilliant uh they they still have their their kind of call it a unicorn dart shirt okay it started to get a bit bit dull then but Bob Bob Anderson with his with his limestone cowboy uh, shirts that, they were great but but Bobby with the sequins took it to an absolute different level because it was like right look this is show this yeah. is a show I'm going to put on a show for you and do you know what like my shirt or or loathe it you have to actually look at it and think something whereas nowadays Nowadays, they're they crap. Not we.
0: They no. are dull, McDull. Right. There are there are undoubtedly they've they've gone down the route of the football shirt market. Now I was I was fascinated to hear because I I didn't know this genuinely at all. But um, Matt, I was listening to Matt Porter talk about it. And Matt Porter obviously is um, I'm not sure what his exact role is, but he was chief exec of late Orient FC. Um, i don't know yeah. what role he plays there at the, at the football club now but um yeah. so massive football fan obviously knows the, the inner workings of football now football shirts right do you yeah. know what the the main considerations for football shirts are one is obviously you have the team colors in some respect but yeah but what for- sells what yeah but it's it what look good what looks good with a pair of jeans because that's your market. People are going to wear these wow. football shirts with a pair of jeans and they want them to look good. You know, they want to wear their team and obviously if it's their team, they're stuck with it. You can't just change teams. Um, uh, so, un- unless you're Why Jack Maine, you? go and listen to go and listen to the podcast from a few weeks ago. He's flitted around as much as he likes. Um, but... Um, if you wear it with a pair of jeans, that's what they are... They've got that in mind. And that's the same when they're thinking about away shirts, third kits for the big teams and everything, because right. they want to flog them. Now, dart shirts, have you ever seen... Why do darts fans wear dart shirts? I don't really understand it. Because most no, of the time, people are going there to for a night at the darts. They're not there to support... We don't have that many partisan fans in darts. I think darts yeah. shirts... Are, and I have never ever seen anybody wear a dart shirt when they weren't at a dance event have you ever seen one in the wild like in real life yes where yes. who yeah
1: on, on, right honestly honestly uh what well, I was saying honestly it's not like I'm gonna lie to you <laughs> why would I do that you might uh, I have I have seen I have seen uh, there was a guy at an airport he had a a, a shirt on from the, the, as he's approaching me I'm kind of thinking that looks like a a Phil Taylor shirt, like a a target one from Mm. back in the day. Then I'm thinking, no, it can't be. Because it was kind of black and a bit blue. And and again, like I said, crap. And (laughs) then he kind of turned round, turned round just to to have a look in the window of next or something or Mm. WH Smith's. I can't remember. And it was, it was a a Phil Taylor shirt. And I wasn't coming back from a premier league. I wasn't an airport for a reason of darts, and neither yeah, yeah. should he have been there. And it was just the fact that, that he was wearing it.
2: I this never is seen why. This wild. is
1: one of the reasons why my, my uh, not because it's me, but Hawaiian shirts that, that I, uh, I sell on hawaii uh, they <laughs> people actually want them to to wear on like stag do's and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get that. That's get fact. It. Yeah, but uh, it's not. Re- it's not a dark shirt per se, is it? Yeah, I mean the thing is, I if you went and got, so I mean, look, there are plenty of dark shirts out there. I like I like Josè de Sousa's new one, for example. I know um, you do, yeah. It's it's a very good shirt, but like I wouldn't wear that if I was going for like an afternoon down the pub watching the football with mates, or yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't wear it to a court appearance, Wayne Martle, um, but but. Would you, you would wear you... A, would you wear an Hawaiian shirt to a wedding?
1: Um a, a wedding in Hawaii, maybe? Right. Because before you answer, oh, my god, my you f- have, haven't you? This sounds so, so wrong on so many <laughs> levels. But trust me, it wasn't. I'm doing a feel there. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> trust uh, me, pal. My wife and I, Donna, got married in matching Hawaiian shirts and the 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 cast and crew the the, the uh, family and friends, they wore all wore matching uh, different uh, uh, a wine shirts to us. You it see... was, it <sighs> was a feast. It was a it was an a wine shirt feast. It was hilarious. But but we did it for hilarity. We did it for just to be slightly different. It wasn't but a
0: marketing. I move, can't imagine. You see, <laughs> like, like no, it, it's not like it, Anthea are Turner. Are we not pathetic? Like... <laughs> okay. <laughs> because that's, I could I could genuinely see that say say Raymond Van Barnevel got remarried I could see him like with the whole congregation in Raymond Van Barneveld dart shirts just because it's a marketing yes. opportunity or something along those Yeah
1: things. yeah I get it I get
0: it but like there was a, yeah. there was a real sort of charm about the sort of 90s ones if you go back and look at like, the old lakeside stuff and in the PDC um uh, ones of the circus tavern or whatever um like Phil Taylor he's got like lightning flashes on his shirt and they yeah. look like they've been yeah. sewn on by his mom um, or yeah, that he's got one with, were with bespoke, sequins. Right? Yeah, they no. weren't bespoke. They, they, they were weren't bespoke. built for the mass market. They weren't supposed to be there to... Oh, I want to buy a Phil Taylor shirt. and they Everybody's cottoned on now, and you can go, oh, you can make a few quid from these, so we've got to make them where we can mass produce them. Back then, it was just like, let's just knock up one shirt. It only has to fit Phil or whoever, Yes. and we can make it look however yeah. stupid we want, like tassels, sequins, little things sewn on. It looked like some sort of, like... Easter bonnet parade from primary school or something. It was brilliant. And that was elite level sport. I want those yes. days back. Like I like a lot of the cool shirts and stuff like that, but they don't have the charm of those. Surely, surely. Right. I, I'm I'm going to, I'm going
1: to make you cast your mind back to, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, I don't know the year. It would be roughly. Anyway, this for me was a, a, a stroke of genius. And then, no offense to to Christopher Mason, genius is not normally what what I'd, I'd label with him. Uh, he wore a shirt at the match play that was it was I believe that year it was one hundred and seventy seven degrees on stage or, or give or take eighty degrees. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: He wore a see through fishnet thing. Yeah. it was it was amazing. And the re- uh, honestly, I was watching. Uh, Human beings that look like they were about to uh, they look like they're about to just set themselves on fire internally combust because (laughs) they they just look like they're ready to explode through the heat. And Mason was just kind of perambulating around the stage like he was he was in some kind of freezer. It's like, oh, the freedom, the freedom. My my body heat is just escaping through every single hole of this this fishnet thing. It was amazing. What well, clever I mean, as well.
0: Well, I mean, look, it may be inspired in that particular instance of Mason, and certainly Chris has told me about this shirt and gone, "You don't you worry about it, Dan. I look I look the bee's knees in that." right and he's gone and <laughs> a great length about all that but the problem is i mean that is not that is not in a, a figuratively one size fits all approach is it because it's fine if you're chris mason you're walking around in your see through shirt and you're going Oh, I'm actually quite well ventilated, or you can deal with that. But if Andrew Gilding qualifies for the match play and he's wearing it, or Big Hendo, or something—I mean, that's the, the, the local council health and safety inspector is going to be round, going, "That's not something." And certainly, Ofcom won't be happy about broadcasting it. So that's <laughs> that's not that's going to cause problems for everybody, including including Sky. So that's that's not something that can be applied elsewhere. What I yeah, do want to know is, what can we do? To to I mean, there are lots of things. If you go on get a unicorn, get a Target, go you can go and on, on look at their websites and now they've got Yeah, you know, I'll read you this. Made from a high performance microfiber fabric that's been specifically designed to wick sweat away from the body and move it to the fabric surface where it evaporates, helping you to stay dry. <laughs> now there was none of that when Phil Taylor, his that, mum or whatever, is sewing sequins on <laughs> That like, was just that I'm so glad hyperfiber- I woke up
1: this morning. <laughs>
0: How many high-performance microfibers have you had in your in your uh, Hawaiian shirts over oh, the wow. years, Wayne? Many. Uh, do you know what I I have? No.
1: The my only ever specification of a shirt is that it has to be made from 100 percent polyester.
0: That's <laughs> absolutely has to be
1: because I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and, and I'm not being sizeist. I'm I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, those that seem to buy uh dart shirts in general mm-hmm. uh they they don't want them
0: f- tight fitting they they no. don't you don't Lottie want Esther, the, the skinny fit the muscle fit the muscle fit no. dart shirt well that's a new thing yeah. because you know J- Josh Payne Gerwin Price now we do have a, a generation of darts players yeah, where that is a genuine possibility hold on you said a generation of dart players that's two okay right and Aaron Beanie, that's three. Aaron Beanie, yes. Who doesn't actually make the most of it? It turns out. Um, but there's, I mean, <laughs> on the <laughs> other, on the other hand, I mean, we did have. Uh, Gatwick Price is not, in my opinion, the first player to have abs, like drawn onto the shirt. Because uh,
1: no, that, that uh, was. Uh...
0: Robbie Green. Robbie Green. Robbie Green had that. Although Robbie Green, also he had abs with the sort of Kong gorilla theme. I, I assume, I've yeah. never seen Robbie Green without his, his shirt on. I assume it's very different underneath the shirt than on top of the shirt. What? Although what? it did. Why do you assume that, Dan? I'm just what assuming. I'm just that? assuming. I don't know. It's, it's, guesswork. it's guesswork. You don't have to be Poirot to work it out, do you? But you can you can educated make an educated guess. Or- guess. Educated guess. That's us Um and I don't want to know. I, I like the mystery of not being a hundred percent sure. To be honest, mystery. Because but... it's a mystery. <laughs> it is a mystery. It is a mystery. Love and if, it. He does know what Robbie Green looks like under his dark shirt. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. Um, but he also he also had in one of his iterations of his shirts he had he had gorilla nipples uh, on the front of the shirt, which was not did uh, he. He did, and it was a development that I was not anticipating. And to be honest, I was commentating on him on a Euro tour, and I could barely concentrate on the game, because I spent 11 legs just going, what? Why are they... What? Have they put nipples on? Why? I don't no. understand. Yeah. Yeah, they had. Well, um, so that's... I mean, again, look, they're, 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 you can do anything you want with a Dasha. But I mentioned I like Jose de Sousa's new one. His old yeah, one... Yeah, why?
1: Why? Well, I why? just... I just
0: I mean I think it's I think it's a nice look I think it looks cool you love him I do love him I do love him um and yeah. and I thought the the genius masterstroke he had of, of numbering his shirts for every night at the Premier League was yeah. incredible I think it's very disappointing that he appears to have got it right every night and not picked the wrong number one day because I think that would have oh, been would have been the best fun. possible outcome for everybody but fun. his previous start shirts had one of that, and this this is the thing that gets me about dartshirts and it's a massive massive offence over the years across loads of loads of players high profile low profile all sorts right Darts is the only sport where the shirts or the players who have the shirts decide do you know what I need on my shirt? I need My something. name. Well not just your name. No, there's uh, plenty of you know oh, people have oh, their names sorry, on, don't they? Sorry. Yeah people have their like footballers have their names on, stuff like that. Well they, yeah. don't. they go I need a dartboard or some darts so people know I'm a darts player. Now, no other sport I can think of does this. Footballers don't have a football or a boot on. Cricketers certainly don't have like stumps or a bat or anything like that. Um, Cyclists, they don't have bikes or syringes full of nandrolone or anything like that that says, (laughs) I am a cyclist. They don't have any of that stuff. It, but darts people. players insist, do you know what I need? I need a dartboard on there so people know I'm a darts player. Why do they do that? It makes no sense. Yeah. They know you're a darts player. you stood on stage throwing darts aboard in a darts tournament. You don't need yeah. that. Uh, do you know what? I've, I've never thought about that. Oh, it does my Sweden. And uh, <laughs> I... It, like, it's exactly the same. You know if you go... Uh, right, you're. we are to record this early because... Um, because Wayne's taking the dogs to the vets, right? Is he one of those yeah. vets... Only for a check-up, it's, yeah, it's all good. For, they're all fine. Um, is he one of those vets where they sell, like, lots of dog and cat paraphernalia, all that sort of stuff? You might, yeah, you might been, yeah. We,
1: we, seldom, we seldom walk out of there uh, Without something. empty-handed. Is There's always something. But
0: if they've got bowls or, you know, collars, things like that, you'll notice a significant portion, like for the dogs they'll have bones on them. So you know it's for the dog. And for the cat, it might have like a fish skeleton on it. So you know it's for cats. Yes. This is exactly the same bloody thing. We're treating darts players like dogs and cats, where they have to have something very, very obvious to signify, this is a darts player. Why can't people understand it? I don't understand why this this is persistent. And it's not just a, a single yeah. offence. Loads of them do. Absolutely loads of them through the decades yeah, yeah
1: through the decades as well exactly yeah exactly uh, makes... do you have a do you have a i, I know Jose's is your, your favorite but mm. do you have like a a, a favorite outfit uh, throughout the your throughout years the years of watching
0: throughout the years yeah. i mean as i say the, the heyday i i, I genuinely think this this whole sport owes bobby george an enormous debt because I not agree. only was he the pioneer of, of the walk on um, but I think that yeah. just his just his willingness to um, just embrace, you know, this is a show. Entertain. Let's just, yeah. yeah, let's just do something out there. That yes. has, has led even the most mild-mannered and meek dark players, not all of them, but plenty of them, to actually embrace that and go, you know what, I am going to wear something a little yeah. bit outlandish. Now admittedly, I think we could go a lot we have we've, we've gone downhill, I think, over, over the years, and despite plenty of dark shirts out there being no doubt full of high performance microfibres, wicking sweat away from the body, um and and looking significantly cooler than some of them, I do quite if you go back to old Merv, Lakeside Merv, those silk yeah, numbers, with the they were a look. Red, yeah, red. I think you had a mm, Yeah. And big big italics on the back, it's Alex stitching of yep. his name. They were good, um, yep. as I say. Uh, anything Bobby had a bright gold one. Phil had some magnificent ones. I mean, they were oh. they were simultaneously god awful but brilliant. Right.
1: I'm 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 going to give to you what I think is probably the 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 greatest garment in the history of darts, and it's kind of a, a it's not even a dart shirt. Is it Rod Harrington's it tie? Is. No, no, no! Anything oh. to do with with uh, with a, a tie, a, a short sleeve dress shirt, and a and a, <laughs> a waistcoat—it's it, it, nonsense. Even he ditched <laughs> the tie. That's how nonsense that was. Oh, yeah, what Yeah, he look ditched like. it after about four minutes. Oh, after what his, a look his it was! Top lip got so sweaty he had to take it off. <laughs> uh, the the greatest the greatest garment ever, and you'll give it. Wow, yeah, how good was that? Mm. Dennis Priestley's leather jacket.
0: Oh, that is good. Oh my word! Yeah, that is. What it's even got garden. the red and black stripes. It's incredible. Oh. I've seen it. I've seen it once in the flesh. Oh my word! Uh, have you? Is it? Have yeah. You? I mean, that must have been a bespoke purchase. That must. He must have had that Course made it for was. him, right? Like you can't Course go and. it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was the same year
1: that that uh, he played Phil in the final. Phil had the the cape where he lifted his arms and it was like <laughs> under the right arm was the under the left was power. Ah, oh! I mean, come, oh. no,
0: come on now. I know, you, you, look, you're struggling to wear a cape nowadays without, you know, like, just going, Oh, you're copying Bobby George. I don't care. Copy him more capes. I want to see more capes in darts. I want to see more yes. mad, mad dart shit. I don't forget looking cool. I don't, I don't care about looking cool. Um, but I cool want to see... Not, cool doesn't win. Cool does not win. If like, I, I'm no. sure there was like there was this whole sort of thing about, for a while in the 90s, I think, around uh, goalkeepers in football who would wear bright coloured things because in one-on-one situations, they thought, oh, it might be a psychological yeah. advantage. You see somebody in a bright neon yeah. goalkeeper court, uh, kit yeah. racing out towards you, they might panic. If you're on a one-on-one thing with a dot, just go and wear the most ridiculous thing. Go go and wear something with a whatever insult you can get away with on the back of it, so they have to look at it while you're throwing everything. I don't care. Just yeah. do something uh, with the yeah on, tapes, on the back. Inst- well, yeah.
1: On mm. the back, in, instead of having your name, you have you have your shit. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> so every opponent you play will be reading it, thinking, "You what? You <laughs> what?"
0: How? <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I'm all for this. Uh, more capes and more insults on dart shirts, and ideally a few more sequins as well. Uh, these are, of course, uh, the views of Dan Dawson and Wayne Mardell, certainly not the views of any Darts manufacturers, or indeed Low Six, the people behind the PDC Picks ads, who are bringing you this podcast for reasons that they are struggling to comprehend. Anyway, we will be talking about the PDC Picks and how we did at the uh, Premier League uh, in the last night of that little three-day chunk of action from Milton Keynes. But first, we're going to introduce our guest for this week. It is a man who is jumping through all kinds of administrative hoops just to chase his dream of being a dart player. He is Canada's number one. He is the best player in North America right now, according to the rankings, and has been for some time. It is the silencer, Jeff Smith.
1: These are the questions that you should be asking.
0: Well, welcome to the podcast, Jeff Smith, The Silencer, North America's number one. Jeff, I want to start. How do you become a top darts player in North America? It is massive, not a huge amount of people play. It must just spend all your time traveling to and from stuff.
2: Yeah, you've pretty well hit the nail on the head right there. uh, We're such a big landmass across North America. Uh, Have lots of of good-sized tournaments that you can play, obviously, from anywhere from the East Coast, Canada, all the way down to Vegas and the West Coast. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a huge financial burden, especially for Canadians. I know the Americans get a lot of cheap flights and stuff. But, uh, yeah, it's you just get out, play as much as you can, and, and like I said, or take the method I did and go to the UK and try to qualify that route.
0: Well, look, where are we speaking to you from today? Because you're, you're in work, aren't you, right now?
2: Yeah, this is day one off quarantine, and I'm actually at my boss's shop here at Hatfield's Auto Glass and uh, Auto Body, so just getting ready to take a box off a truck.
0: Right, okay, yeah, because I've, I've had a little glimpse into this. Anybody who watched the home tour will have seen it, because that's why you were playing there, wasn't it? Because I think you had better Wi-Fi there or a board set up, because your boss is quite supportive.
2: He is probably the one of my best friends going, and uh, and like I said, he absolutely loves darts, and I actually had him over to the Premier League for one of my trips way back before the, the COVID thing hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a huge supporter. He's been good to me, and, and I always have a job when I come back, so you can't ask for really any more for, than anybody than what he's given.
0: I mean, do you think that there are there are players out there in North America who like they, they could have the talent to be top darts players, but because they don't have a, a work situation, a boss that's as support They just they've just got no hope of making this work as a, as a professional.
2: Yeah, under nor- normal circumstances it's tough, especially with what's going on now. Uh, most people work a 40 50 hour week. Uh, regularly and and like i said obviously when you become a pro- professional that's just not an option so you need need somebody that can actually back you up and support you and and it really takes that in order to make a go of it if you're going to be based over here
0: yeah well i mean we'll we'll certainly come to to what's going on right now for you in a bit but i want to go way back to how it all started because darts is still a niche sport in North America It's such a crowded marketplace sport in North America. I mean, I, when you were growing up, what was it? Was it darts or was it, was it hockey or NFL or whatever? What were you into?
2: Yeah, it was hockey for me. I played, uh, played back almost, uh, rep hockey and whatnot through, uh, as a goaltender and, uh, but darts has always been part of my family and stuff. So I think I was about the age of 10 and I, I started playing youth darts, uh, no, it was great. My grandfather he wouldn't uh, wouldn't allow me to, to try out for our provincial team until I knew my breakdowns and numbers, so which explains why I count as well as I do, and probably <laughs> the best thing he could have done. But uh, yeah, it's I, I've been pretty well a New Brunswick champion since I was fourteen, and and have never never really set them down since.
0: So is, was it a family thing? Was your grandfather into darts, or was he just you just, just said, Well, if you're going to get into it, Jeff, I'm going to make sure you do it right.
2: Yeah, he he put together a youth league in at uh, the Hampton Legion. And I think we had probably 40 to 60 kids at that time. And, and like I said, those numbers are gone since. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's exactly that. He, he put he, he had, uh, I think, three national champions come out of that club. And and you know what I mean? Hats off to him. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't be where I am. So that's
0: obviously, that's, that's a great grounding. And you were playing darts from a, a pretty young age and you got good pretty quickly. But did you ever have your eyes beyond the horizon to to looking at playing nationally internationally things like that or was it always just something you know a little hobby that you had on the side
2: yeah it's like I said I'm a small town country boy type of deal and and like I said a lot of people you almost got made fun of for playing darts but uh, all of a sudden now the same town is now completely backing me and realizing what I've done and yeah it's just exactly that I just wasn't taking no for an answer this is what I wanted to do and and uh when I'm done getting better or feel that I can't improve anymore, then then that's when I'll hang them up. But uh, till then, I'm going to make a go of it.
0: That's an interesting thing, So people that sort of make fun of, of darts players. Because it it's kind of looked down on in North America, isn't it? I think we used to have that to a degree. over We still do, I think, here in the UK to, a, to an extent. But it's, it's considered sort of, it's a game for barflies and losers, isn't it? That's the sort of prevailing view in North America.
2: Yeah, not not so much losers, but it's uh, it's like I said, it's kind of on the lower lower scale as far as sports is concerned in Canada. You've got uh, hockey, baseball, basketball, that sort of thing. Curling even is uh, is one of the things, but you know what I mean? It's it's on the rise. It's starting to show up on TV here, and and things are getting noticed because of that. I, I get tons of messages every time they see a match that I've played, whether it be from eight months ago or or if it's current. So it uh, it's it's on the way up.
0: Do you feel that you personally have played a big part in that with the success you've had, you know, making world finals and, and being part of the, the professional circuit now in the PDC?
2: Uh, there's there's several players that have put Canada on the map, really. John being probably number one overall. Mm. Uh, Bob Eve back years and years ago was uh, was very key for Canada as far as recognizing the sport over here, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm just uh, just a guy trying to do my part and uh, and hopefully we'll continue to carry on.
0: Well, this is this is the thing that, obviously, the PDC have a uh, want to break America. They've wanted to do it for years and years, decades even. And they've gone over there and they've played tournaments and now that they're going to the World Series, we should have been in, in New York uh, last year, of course, and they've been to Vegas where, where you've had success. But... It's such a difficult thing to break. And they've already had, you know, Larry Butler won the match play. John Part was an elite player for years. In terms of North America, they've had figureheads and yet it still hasn't taken hold. Do you think it can happen, Jeff? And if so, how?
2: Like I said, you, you've got uh, players like Danny Bagish coming up through the ranks. And uh, you know what I mean? Darren Young and Larry and they, these guys have been doing this for years and should have got more recognition than they have. But uh, you know what I mean? I think with the PDC and where they've come over here, I I think location is a big issue. Vegas was great. It's a vacation area. Everybody likes to go to Vegas. But uh, the nest of players is more, I find, on the East Coast, where you get New York was ideal because it's easy to get to for everybody. It's a bit expensive, but I think they're on the right track with doing what they're doing there.
0: What have been your biggest achievements in the game jeff what what's really stuck i mean obviously you made a lakeside final you've you've got yourself on the tour a couple of times in the pdc um you've, you've won title i mean you're a five-time sunday river open champion I, I love the american tournament names i've got no idea whether these are big ones little ones i just see them on wikipedia but what what are the highlights for you in your career
2: yeah, it's for me more than anything, it's it's being able to, to meet new people and, and getting to see the world and travel the world. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I won a World Cup in Japan, not many people can say mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know what I mean? One of the world pairs in Romania, same idea with uh, Dave Cameron. And yeah, it's it's just I've seen every part of Canada, every part of the US, most of most of England and Europe. And uh, it's it's been what I've wanted to do for my whole life, so i'm just going to carry on and hopefully we'll get to see more things and and the results will come along with it
0: well yeah it's what you've wanted to do in your life but you you weren't in a position to really chase that dream a few years ago when you first got your your talk on the pdc were you And, and you've said as much now it's different but i mean how what was holding you back before was it just family and work at the time
2: yeah i was i was a young guy i wasn't making a big wage uh Couple of kids, three kids on the on the go, and and it's it's hard to get up and leave that for a professional life in another another country or not necessarily country, but a continent. Mm. So uh, you know what I mean. It, it is what it is. I just wasn't prepared to do it. My my main goal was to get to play with John at the World Cup, and uh, I was able to fulfill that. Played okay when I was there, and uh, but it also opened up some doors when I came back in the PD in the BDO because all of a sudden I was instantly recognized where before they never knew who I was because I had that title of, of holding a tour card at one time so I think it uh, everything worked out in the long run and and I wouldn't change it for the world biggest
0: frustrations in in your career so far Jeff I mean presumably not being distracted when you're going for a, a title winning bullseye uh by some idiot in a commentary box in Vegas
2: Yeah, that stuff happens, unfortunately. It is what it is, but uh, I won't mention any names. But anyway, uh, it's not a big deal. I probably would have missed it anyway.
0: Yeah, that's uh, what I keep telling myself. Uh, Yeah, that was just in case anybody's aware. uh, North American Championship. uh, Jeff Smith about to win it with a 170, if I recall. Trouble 20, trouble 20. And I'm going mental in the commentary box. Uh, But Stuart Pike has left the commentary box door open behind me. uh, And Jeff can actually hear me and turns over to the commentary box and says... I know I want the bullseye. Uh, probably missed it and lost the title. Sorry about that, Jeff. I know there was several thousand dollars on the line.
2: Yes, I, I'm not too worried about it now. That's in the past, but uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I pro- you probably had to stay away from me for about 10 minutes till I calmed down. Yeah, but, uh, it was yeah. all good. Nobody, there was yeah. a bit of that. If, Look, if, that's... I, if I hit that bullseye, then, then Danny Baggish wouldn't have got his kickstart that he needed in his career. So it all worked out for someone.
0: Oh, disgustingly magnanimous from Jeff Smith. Um look where does where where can this go then in terms of not just you but but north american darts this is a massive thing for for professional darts as a whole, Germany has, has sustained the growth of the game over the last few years because it's exploded in popularity there. But it does need to keep finding new territories. And yeah, there could be, there's all sorts. You know, we're seen players from Poland and potentially Hungary could be big. Uh, other parts of Europe, we've got Jose de Sousa from Portugal, who's a Grand Slam champion. But America's always going to be on the to do list for, for the PDC. I mean, can. Can it, can it, can it rival, can it surpass curling? That's basically what I'm asking. Surely, surely we can beat curling as a sport, Jeff.
2: Yeah, it's, it's hard to say over here because it is big. There's multi-millions in behind it. And, uh, and the biggest thing is, is the funding that they get from the government for those types of sports where darts is not recognized here yet. And I think that's a big uh, thing that's holding us back as far as uh, bringing in new growth, as far as youth and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it has a long way to go, but uh, it, it's definitely heading in the right direction, especially with you got uh, places like the Championship Dirt Circuit. Uh, mm-hmm. They're doing wonderful things and, and bringing, bringing the top players together, which that's never really happened. Uh, all the big tournaments, the $20,000 tournaments and stuff across the U.S., you'd always get two or three of the top players all the time, but you never had them all in the same room. So now that's changing, and and with that, the level of play is increasing, and and so there's going to be more players that are able to uh, to compete when they're coming over to the UK.
0: Mm. I may look, maybe the the next you know if we do get a another three-time world champion from hey look it could be yourself Jeff, um, but from that part of the world then maybe the they're more ready to to really make a big thing of it and perhaps capitalize on it more than when John Park was was ruling the world. Um. I do want to talk about your situation at the minute, Jeff, because I think you might be—you might be—in the toughest position of, of all the tour card holders in just trying to make their professional career work at the moment. I mean, just talk to us about how many hoops you're having to jump through just to play on the circuit this year.
2: Yeah, for, first one I want to thank is EWA Sports Management because if it wasn't for them I wouldn't be doing it at all. Mm. Uh, First off, a typical trip for me, the last one to Germany, is I've got to get a test. uh, land one within 48 hours, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's impossible from where I am. So I went, took my test, it came back, I was going to be outside my window by two hours. They wouldn't let me board, denied flight, so I lost my flight. So luckily enough, uh, I dealt with another Air Canada agent, and she was kind enough to change it for me. Uh, I left the next day. Landed in Montreal, had a 3 hour layover, which gave me enough time to get a test in Montreal. And uh, anyway, finally boarded the plate. Mm-hmm. Landing in the UK and Europe has never been an issue. It's always Canada. that's It's on this end. So that was all said and done. I'm out 150 for that test. No big deal. Land in Germany, get tested. No problem. I need another PCR test to go, so I have to leave the bubble, go back to the airport, get a PCR test come back, get retested to enter the bubble again and uh, play my tournament. So everything, that's that's pretty standard. Mm-hmm. But then coming home is the tough part because uh, that, that's a part where the federal government has placed a, a quarantine on any Canadian returning from international. You have to go to a federal quarantine hotel at, at your own expense, which is anywhere from 1100 to $2,000, depending on which one you book. And uh, once you have a negative test, you're then allowed to take your connection and go to your destination. So while I was in Germany, our provincial government decided they wanted to copy off the federal government, and they'd also put on a seven-day quarantine in a hotel at the cost of $1,400 plus tax. So th- this was this was just breaking to me, and like I said, I, it definitely affected my play the first two days because I, I spent more time up till 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning researching my options and how I was going to get home. So uh, like I said, uh, luckily enough, when I landed, I told them, I said, I'm sorry, the federal government took all my money. Uh, I can't afford your COVID hotel here in New Brunswick. It's ludicrous. The, the restrictions changed two days after I left. And uh, I don't agree with it, and I'm not paying. So they, they ended up two and a half hours later, I actually convinced them to let me go as a rotational worker. So they oh, allowed wow. me to go to my house, house address. So I avoided that $1,400, and, uh, but I still have to quarantine 14 days.
0: Which is four to uh, two weeks, so you could be working and you're not, I assume.
2: Exactly, so you you lose lose your income as far as that goes. But uh, and like I said, in the testing, it's when I landed in Montreal, I had to take a test on day one, negative. I could fly to my destination. Then provincially, I had to take a test on day five, negative. Uh, federally, had to take another test on day eight, negative. <laughs> had to take another test provincially on day ten, and that was negative. And I'm finally out on on day fourteen. So. It, have uh, you
0: worked out how much this is all cost is it costing you money to play the tour it must be at the minute
2: at if unless I'm the last last trip over I think I spent probably close to a month and I probably would have been handy to what I what I would have made if I had just stayed stayed home and worked but uh, like I said it, it with the position with the two year tour card, I'm on my second year. I have to have to maintain that top sixty four. so yeah, I'm just I'm just basically trying to survive Covid and when it's over then i'll uh, I'll work on on making money then.
0: I will tell you what Jeff, the first time you won a tour card, you weren't able to take advantage of it. The next time you win a tour card, a massive global pandemic hits and it costs you money to play the tour. Once you actually get an extended spell on the PDC without these problems, I mean what why is the target? What do you think you could achieve?
2: Yeah, I I know in my heart I'm a top 32 player, easy enough. When when my game and I am allowed to focus and play, so uh, that that's that's my goal. Like I said, hopefully get in the World Championships this year. I'm I'm within striking distance, so I just have to go back over again, deal with restrictions one more time. That should put me hopefully in if I, if I have any results at all. And uh, yeah, it's once I anchor that 64 restrictions are off then then it's time to go and uh like i said we'll we'll make make our strides as, as they come and, and until then i'll just do what i'm doing
0: the silence of jeff smith there uh, look wayne uh, he said it himself it's costing him money to play the tour at the minute but he's doing it on the proviso that it might lead to better days and you can really give yeah. it a go. And look, I, I've just got a lot of respect for him because commuting from Canada is a is a ridiculous situation to find himself in.
1: Yeah, uh, John Part did it, well, did it for the best part of like 30 years. But mm. when John first kind of started, there was a, a lot of BDO and PDC events in North America, in in canada and in europe as well really but not when i say europe i mean like mainland so it wasn't there wasn't too much uh, reason for for him to make it over to to outside side of the pond if if you will but nowadays uh, jeff has has got the worst of it he really has got the worst of it i know it's a global game i know darts is a global game and it, it it can't become kind of global enough for, for jeff right now it it he needs something to happen near a home. But, yeah, he's he's sticking with it. And full credit to him because a lot of people, even even in the UK, were saying about the the one in Germany, oh, I ain't going all the way to Germany for like five days because uh, with the world the way it is now, blah, 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 which is, mm. as we know, is just a, a bit of a mess. But we're getting there. Jeff just sticks with it. He's yeah. such a professional. And like you, you said, he's hoping for better days, isn't he? And he's is, is laying the groundwork now, but the the testing, the quarantining, the the hassle, the cancelled flights—it's like ah, oh, how, how does he stomach it?
0: I don't know. I genuinely don't know, and does it with with good grace as well. But um, I mean, to to basically be coughing up your own money just to stay on the tour. I mean, look, we've not we've mentioned it before on this podcast, Cristo Reyes. We've not seen him since all of this started. We've not seen him from before when yeah. this started, Cristo Reyes. I presume that he's probably taken a look at all the logistics of it and gone, well, I'm not paying to, to be on the tour. I mean, that's ridiculous. And he's evidently just yeah. gone, well, if, if I drop off the tour, I drop off the tour. I can just try and win my way back onto it. And um, Jeff Smith is, is doing everything he can. Uh, to keep his position on on the tour. Because, look, as we know, Q-School is not an easy thing to get through. And even though Jeff's done it um, before, he, he did do it. I think it was a last-leg decider. when he took out a tonne-plus checkout against Sago Asada to win his tour card. Right. And had he not taken that out, Sago was there, ready to knock him out. And I'm not sure Jeff Smith would be in this position. Um what do you make of him as a player? Look, World Cup winner in the WDF system, World finalist yeah. in the Lakeside. I don't think we've seen the best of Jeff Smith in the PDC as yet, and it's perhaps understandable considering all the stuff that he's having to go through.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, it, without putting his his talent down, he's very solid, isn't he? His hmm. his B game is is not disastrous. His his A game uh, can can take him to finals. Is He's, look, he's, he's done all right this year, isn't he? He, he made the uh, made a final earlier on, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. In, in I think it was March, March, April. Might have been before that. Sorry, yeah, it's probably before that. Yeah, you uh, speak semi-final he? recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I believe that on his day he's capable of winning things, but it kind of has to fall his way. But he knows he knows what his game's based around, and that is consistency. And I've said many, many times about literally every player that plays on the PDC circuit, they don't have to get better. They just have to get more consistent. And I think Jeff really he falls within that category. When he's just off of his best, he doesn't win. He doesn't win. And it, it's one of those, isn't it? It's difficult for him. He's earning, He's probably he's running at a deficit this year. Of mm-hmm. course, because of the, the the sheer logistics of it all, but I'm I'm hoping that things do turn around for the, the the world and him, you know, because it's players like him that that keep the tour as strong as it is, and he's professional. You're not going to get you're not going to get any nonsense out of him, and and if he starts qualifying for big events, it'd be good to watch and it'd be good to interview. It, it, people will enjoy speaking to him and listening to to hear what he's got to say rather than some we're probably just a bit used to, aren't we? We're not used to seeing him on our screen so much. So it'll be another story for us to
0: to see evolve. Hey, look, I mean, if people are worried about getting fed up about certain voices in darts and listening to them, then you're in the right place for the Good Darts podcast with Wayne Mardle and Dan Dawson. We're not only ubiquitous, but really annoying. Uh, yeah, Jeff Smith he made a final in his very first Players' Championship event last year. After so that was pre-pandemic. That's what he was beaten by Gary Anderson. Um, I mean, he's a great start. That was last year. Sorry, yeah. Right, yeah. So, but and then yeah. this year, but he's still travelling over and, and and doing things. The the point I asked, and I know we've discussed this before on the podcast, but it, it is, I think it's an important one. The PDC should have been playing in New York last year and indeed this year um, because they are desperately trying to. Crack North America. They're yeah. trying to carve yeah. out a space for themselves in North America. Um, yeah. We now have Jeff Smith and Danny Bagish on the tour. There are yeah. other younger players coming through. Somebody like Danny Lorby um, might end up being a, a guy we see quite a lot of in PDC darts. But in terms of carving out a space, Jeff said there, you know, curling has a higher profile than darts in Canada. Yeah. It's such a very difficult thing to achieve, yeah. to, the, to the point of, I, I don't even know if it can be done, to be honest. I mean, the PDC, obviously, they, they keep banging on the door, they keep trying, and fair play to them, but I, I just genuinely don't know if it can be done to, to break America in that regard.
1: Yeah, I'm. Um, you know, they've, they've been trying for years, and I'm, I'm not saying that the BDO kind of made a, a a better go of it, but that was all that there was at the time. The, the BDO had, had some... Big tournaments in in North America. I'm going to say back in the, the the day, back in the 90s and and 80s, and the guys were always out there. You talk to kind of Bobby George and John Lowe, Bob Anderson. They were always in America playing for playing for decent money. Big um, sponsors
0: out there at the time, weren't there?
1: Huge. We, yeah, it was it was it was big. Darts was big. I, I just think geographically, Dan, that it's so difficult it really is so difficult for for a player to, to play for, call it $3,000, $5,000, and have to be away for four or five days, uh, pay out decent money on travel as well, and hotels to say stay in Vegas or LA and wherever they may go. I'd, I just think that, that it's the, the place is so vast. It's so vast. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's not enough winners uh, w- within them. There's just not. So,
0: But they had John Park. they do? They, they, had they John go to Potter. the local They had ones. Larry Butler. La- Larry Butler won the match play. John Park, three-time world champion. They've had potential yeah. figureheads, and it's still not sort of yeah. taken root, if you like. And what do, that's do remember, what concerns me. To,
1: yeah. Do you remember uh, last week when, when you spoke to to Kim Hybrex? He was saying that mm. in, in Belgium, just not not thought of at all
0: yeah yeah it's Darts only recently just, they've got it on the telly of... over there so
1: yeah exactly exactly mate yeah mm. so it, look it's a shame for them because John Part as we know wow he's like a in darting terms he's a, as close to a, a superstar stroke legend as you, you're ever going to get but in his own countries he's probably kind of can walk down the street and people just think why is that man eating a donut <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, he gives with one hand, he takes with another, uh, which is very much oh. what we'll be doing uh, when we go through our PDC pick selections, which we gave you with one hand and then realised we'd given you a lot of duff ones and took back any possibility of winning with the other. Yeah. I just turned it on. The crowd starts going, ooh. Semis. You just got to hold it now. When they're going in like that, easy. And I enjoyed it. Oh, here we go. Turned on. Brilliant. I'm very quick and Ooh, I'm not spouting my boat off too much. Whoa! I was enjoying it that much. I thought, well, why not? You know, enjoy it. I've still got the stamina. Brilliant. Turned on, and that's how I do it. I just, whoa! I just turned it on then. That's the whole point. Right, let's get on with it. Semis. Whoa! No. Spouting my boat off. You yeah, know, enjoy it. Tonight I'm going to go and enjoy it again. Hopefully I'll perform as well as I have done. I just turned it on then. I can sit and watch everybody else sweat now. Right, night 12 of the Premier League set things up very, very intriguingly. And we made our selections for the PDC picks, brought to you by Low Six, the people who are putting this podcast together. Um, And I... I, I oh, My word. I mean, last time we blamed the players for doing things that they shouldn't have done. Uh, this time... <laughs> we did. Uh, this time, I, I think I'm going to stick with that line because quite fr- they were <laughs> astonishing things. Going on, yeah, uh, on that final night. I mean, look, we both said that that Jose would beat Peter Wright and beat him handsomely, and that's exactly what happened. In fact, yeah, um, I, I didn't realize this, uh, but Peter Wright's wife Joe has had loads of back problems, she'd gone off to hospital, it was all planned, but he obviously yeah. had that playing on his mind and I don't think I think he barely practised he's very unlike Peter Wright who is a, a very professional operator and it, it showed yeah. quite frankly and, and Jose wiped the floor yeah, it with him yeah. and yeah. fair enough look I mean that's what's happened I think with that Peter yeah. Wright's chances have probably evaporated into the ether in terms of going and winning seems the seems that title. way um, we'll have to see what, what sort of Peter Wright comes back and we will be looking ahead to the Premier League when we'll I do our next podcast in a week's time Michael Van Gogh and James Wade. Now, I, I look, Van Gogh has won three games out of three in that little block. He's played brilliantly, yes. then played poorly, and then yeah. played brilliantly again. And he has got away with the poor performance. And the brilliant ones, they've just come at the right time because he's had brilliant opposition. And he's managed to get over. Yeah. James Wade was superb in that game. And he's still only got three legs on the board. What do you make of it? Well,
1: look, James did did little wrong. One hundred and ten average, the full highest losing average in the Premier League of, of all time. But I I know we we mention averages so often, but Michael's performance, uh, it was kind of unplayable. To beat hmm. to beat one hundred and ten average eight three, with one hundred and seven, his timing was was brilliant. His when he saw an opportunity to just set it up, then take it out, he didn't fluff his lines uh, uh, hardly once. And when he did have a, a bad shot, that I, I think he he had one fifty nine or something ridiculous, uh, he he come back with another big one. That's as good as I've seen Michael. Like, yeah, throughout the duration of a match. Do well, remember, the thing was is, it, uh, yeah, a couple of days before that, he had a little wobble Played against Dimit- Dimitri, didn't he? He did. Yeah, there was no wobble here.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing to have two, and we said at the time against Dimitri, you know, what, he was really, really good, but there was just something there which looked a bit vulnerable, and there was nothing like that from yeah. James uh, against James Wade. But to put those two performances within three days in a in a tournament where he's had three of his worst ever performances, statistically yeah. speaking, uh, in the Premier League, yeah. then I mean, it, it does, it it does feed into the oh well maybe he's working himself back into where he needs to be. But the thing is you look at yeah. he was only a ninety five average against Johnny Clayton in the middle, all we're seeing is yeah. that when Michael Van Gowen is good, he's still very, very, very good. We knew that. Yes. It's just that yes. he's not good as often and that means he's yeah. vulnerable. Um so I don't yeah. I don't know what we learn. I mean he might winning three games in a row like that, it might just the confidence might build and then then he does sort yeah. of start to recover that aura. Because um, there are certain, yeah. you know, there's certainly players out there who they don't, they don't relish playing Michael van Gaal, but they certainly don't no. find it as daunting as they used to. Um,
1: no, you, you, you're right. You're right. I, I, they don't fear him like like they used to, 100. percent But again, you you hit the nail on the head with, we've learnt very little because, when he plays well, he wins. Well, what's new about that?
0: Yeah, he's been saying that. It's, the question is not when you play well. Do you win, Michael? We knew that, and he knows that. It's the question of will you play well? Because although ninety-five percent of the time, well, more than that, really, the answer has been yes over the last eight years. It's only been about sort yeah. of sixty percent of the time, and yeah. in recent months, yeah. which is why he still doesn't have a title to his name. I'll be very interested to see uh, if Michael Van Gogh appears at the Super Series. Just announced two more Super Series leading up to the match plays. So that's eight more tournaments on the way. Oh right, um, okay. So that's that's going to be good news for the players to get about playing. I tell you what was good news as well in August: cha- uh, Challenge Tour and Development Tour coming back, which I know it's going to happen at some point. Right. Um, but big, big news for that second tier, and they're splitting, um, splitting those. So there's going to be UK versions and EU versions. So that will be fantastic. Very interesting. I mean, kudos to the organisers for for making all that happen, and fingers yeah. crossed. That we get that we get some you know plenty of people turning up, particularly in the EU one. Um, so it actually does justify going to all this effort to do it. Um, oh, excellent! Because I think the challenge Shore certainly over the last couple of years, as well, more than that, three or four years, has proven itself to be an excellent breeding ground for. PDC tour card players. Nathan Aspinall himself, of course, uh, came through yeah. the Challenge Tour after dropping off the tour. He couldn't come through yeah. against Johnny Clayton, though, in what I thought was going to be the best game of the night and ended up being the worst in terms of standard. 8-6, though, for Ferret. Loads of missed doubles in the pair. I mean, it could have been any score, to be honest. You'd pick Johnny to win it. I'd pick Nathan. And again, I'm, yeah. it's one of those where I think it could have been any scoreline. A draw was probably the fairest.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't quite believe at one point that I thought Johnny might not win it. Then mm. when he won it, I'm thinking, how did he win that? It, <laughs> it was peculiar. It was yeah. absolutely peculiar. It was like, you're in control. Oh, no, 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 Nathan will win now. And then what happened there? And Mark said to me after, because he, he was doing commentary, he went, uh, how did he get away with that? So I got, compl- I'm glad I wasn't uh, commentating on the game. So I got completely flummoxed with it. I went, who? I went, who, who got away with what? And he went, Johnny. So I went, it was a draw mark. I went, he, he didn't get away with anything. And he, he looked me right in the eyes and he went, he won eight six. I went, oh, all right. I said, to be honest, I said, I was looking at the scoreline. And I couldn't work it out. It was, the game was a mess. Forget forget the, the the standard. It was it was just so up and down, and there's no narrative to it. Chance after was there? chance being missed. I I I just couldn't work it out. And even yeah. I read in it now, eight six, it still doesn't ring true.
0: Yeah, I, I remember feeling all kinds of things in that game, and just confusion was one of the main ones because <laughs> they played so brilliantly all the way through the tournament. Very very yeah. few poor performances, and then they just dragged each other down, which is exactly the opposite yeah. of what happened in the final game. I mean, you'd you'd pick Ferret, so well done, you get a point for that. I'd pick Nathan, yeah. so no point for me. Um we'd uh You'd pick Michael Van Gogh in and he backed you up. I'd pick James Wade and so I'd 110 average and don't get anything from it in terms yeah. of PDC picks for mine. Um, again, I can take some credit from that but ultimately, no points. And it brings us to the final yes. game where we both resoundingly said Dimitri Vandenberg is going to spank Gary Anderson and Gary averaged 108 almost, hit 80% of his darts at double and could not miss in big combination yeah. finishes. One four six, one two three, nearly hit a couple more as well. I mean, yeah. the, the man was incredible and we had confidently said you won't see him play like that again not like not after the last night where he was very good against peter Ryan. it's it's just be a one-off it'll be fine yeah i mean how wrong can you be how wrong can you be well we we were even wronger
1: (laughs) because (laughs) because we actually said if i remember rightly that Oh, Dimitri, look how he played against Michael the other night and and got got nothing. If he plays like that again, he'll win. Yeah, he did play like that again. Gary wouldn't repeat it. Yeah, Gary wouldn't repeat and he did. Uh, Dimitri, if he plays like that again, he won't get beat. Well, he did and he did get beat. So, yeah, yeah, we we could not have been more wrong if we tried. Gary was, it was mesmerizing stuff.
0: It was brilliant. And do you know what? I think the The worst possible thing for Gary is that it stopped after that night because he'd had two good nights in a row and he played yeah. himself into a bit of form and now he's going to have two weeks yeah. off where he won't throw a dart and he'll come back and he'll be back at, not square one but probably about square two or maybe square two and a yeah. half and he'll he'll might yeah. take a couple of nights to get going and even if he does that probably won't be enough. Dmitry Vandenberg, that week, those three nights. He's averaged 107 yeah. to MVG and lost 8-3. He's averaged 103 yeah. against Nathan Aspinall and got away with an yeah. 8-6 win. And yeah. then he's averaged yeah. 104.5 and, and lost 8-4 to Gary Anderson. Yeah. I maintain... He, I mean, he was lucky to get two points. He perhaps only deserved one in terms of how the games went that week. But he has played yeah. incredibly. And there is, I'm seeing nothing... that stops me thinking that Dimitri Vandenberg is is right up there with the most likely winners of this title.
1: I I agree. I've been kind of spouting about him now for for probably too long, like I did for Michael Smith for like 17 years. Uh, (laughs) I, I believe that Dimitri is now, and I mean right now, uh right up there, I agree with you, with one of the most likely winners every time there's a darts event on. Mm. He's up there with Van and he's up there with Price. Uh he has no one to fear. And he's he's game, the games that he's losing, it's just he's going for a little phase, isn't he? He's going for a spell that we know, you know, you, you've watched you've watched so many darts over the last last years. Normally from a, a, a dungeon. Uh yeah. but I I'm struggling to believe that he doesn't nick a couple of majors in in the back end of the year or even, even retain the match play. It's going to take some performance to beat him over these longer formats.
0: There you go. I think that's very interesting. Dimitri Vandenberg, uh, which we both confidently said would win that final game against Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson once again taking great pleasure in just messing up pundits' predictions. And of all the pundits... There are none he takes greater pleasure than messing up than Wayne Mardle's prediction. So it ended up with Wayne... Actually, you were on, unbelievably Wayne, for a full house until Gary mucked it up in that final game. You got three out of four. That so is if typical you were, Gary. Well, quite. If you were playing along on the PDC Picks app, maybe the thing to do is follow Wayne Mardle and then whatever he says about the Gary Anderson game, ignore that because you're almost guaranteed to win you win cash prizes in free to enter tournaments on the PDC picks app remember though uh, if you are playing you've got to be 18 years old resident in the UK terms and conditions apply uh, please gamble responsibly uh, if you don't uh, then I'm going to come round your house I'm going to so sequined lightning flashes onto every garment you own and on a Monday morning when you walk into work you are going to get absolute dogs abuse from everybody and uh, the journey in on public transport is going to be disgusting as well but aside from that uh, have a lovely Time and uh, whatever the bloody is. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>